Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Nashville Tour Stop Podcast. My name is Aaron, and actually not across the table from me today, but all the way across the pond, we've got Danny McMahon, friend of the show. Danny, how are you? I'm good, dude. I'm great. I'm cold. It's very, very cold in the UK at the moment. But other than that, it's all good. It's all good. We're, we're, we're loving life, living it to its fullest always. Dude, where are you located? Because I personally know, but the fans of the show might not. So where are you over there in the UK? Yeah, I'm in a place called Bristol. So it's like two sort of two hours west of London, basically. Okay. So uh, yeah, sort of uh, so on, the, on the way towards uh, Wales. But yeah, it's sort of like the... The, the West Country, we call it over here. <laughs> are you are you a native to Bristol, or did you move there? I am. Yeah, I've I've uh, lived here my whole life. Weirdly, I was born here, and all my family have moved away from here, which is okay, uh, which cool. is really interesting. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I'm very much native to Bristol. Lived here my whole life. Sort of uh, gone to uh, spent a bit of time in London, sort of uh, in between, but always come back to Bristol. Cool. Is there is there a very vibrant music scene over there in Bristol? Because I've I've been to London and I've performed there. So, I, but I'm not too familiar with the the music scene like outside of the the let's just call it the one huge major city there. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's like, I mean, Bristol definitely has its own music scene. It's sort of, um, it's quite sort of left field in the sense that there's like a lot of being sort of like a lot of like dubstep and grime and a lot of, you know, there's ska and reggae music. A lot of that, it's very, okay. um, it's very cultural. It's very culturally diverse, Bristol as a place. So like, that's kind of like what's really big uh, over over in say that this part of the country is say obviously london is, i've sort of done a lot of like pop sort of stuff and the other city that's obviously very big for it is uh for music in the uk is manchester obviously you've had sort of like you know the oasis stone roses all of that kind of thing and a lot of like the big guitar bands sort of like mm-hmm. come up from like in and around that area so uh, that's that's a great area for music is always on the uh, always on the tour circuit as well well that's cool uh, before we get too deep into it, I like to start most of our shows by just asking, do you remember how you and I met years and years ago? Absolutely. Yeah, it was uh, it was Belcourt Taps, wasn't it? Belcourt Taps, RIP. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, what a night that was. Yeah, you were the, as I say, you were the very first person to ever put me on at a show in Nashville. So uh, forever grateful for that. Was I really? Yeah, you were. Yeah. No way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Was that was at Belcourt Hot Dog? Man, that place was kind of a hub of just about everybody of all all varieties. It went there. Oh, dude, it was such a vibe. Honestly, like as I said, like I've probably told you before. Like I arrived there, I was sort of I was excited and terrified in equal measure. I would say <laughs> that day because I was just like because I've done I've been to Nashville before, but I'd done a lot of it was a lot, a lot of studio based work that I'd done um, right. uh, the previous time. But actually going and playing live and seeing how like just how talented and great everybody was, I was like, oh my god, this is like such a level up. I'm gonna have to just be like on my A game tonight. I was just, talking was, about was, that not too long ago about how like when you first move here, you come here expecting like, oh, I'm kind of like hot. Shit. Like I was. I was like one of the best people in my in my hometown. Like I was one of the people who was like, I, I was going to quote, make it. And then I came to Nashville and I was like, oh, I got to stop talking so loud, man. Everybody is who is here is the best person from their hometown. Legit. That's the best way to describe it. Like, as I say, it was just like, for me, it was just like those, those writers rounds there. It was uh, very much baptism by fire. I, th- I think it was, um, I was trying to remember who it was, who was, I was on the round with. I think initially it was, it was um, Kyle Elliott and he started singing and I was just like, dude, the tone is just like unbelievable. And then you guys did the one after me and I still, to this day, swear down that was the best writers round I've ever watched <laughs> in my life. Anywhere, ever. It was a vibe. It Let's was so see, good. Uh, what year was it that you... F- 
first played? Was that 2020 or 2019? That was 2019. Okay, well, let's. Uh, I, I keep a archive of all of our uh, shows so that I can actually go back and see who was playing what, where, and when. So let's actually right. go. Let's go back into the uh, into the the spreadsheet here and see who you were playing with. You yeah, played with Kyle Elliott, Dallas Caroline, and Frank Giavetti on yeah, September twenty second. 2019 at seven o'clock there we go <laughs> my historical archives yep then that next round was me zane parmiter colin rowe and tyler bank that was a, I, oh I, dude that was that was a hot night man <laughs> it was legit it was so good i've literally got so many clips of it still saved on my phone like so it was it was, it was good do you still do you still make it over to the states very often to perform or it's like nashville the one place you come to no so i'm um, in the summer i spent a lot of time sort of like on the west coast so i flew into la i did some shows there um and then we went through vegas and then up to idaho and did a bunch of shows up there okay, as sweet. well so all through like people i basically met in nashville who are obviously from outside of nashville and said oh yeah can you, you know come to a come to wherever come to our hometown and we'll put on a show for you there and and hope, hopefully hoping to go back i met a guy whilst i was in idaho who does like a load of shows sort of all, all, all across the north sort of like in montana and wisconsin all that kind of thing so just getting to go to new places and yeah see new things and uh, that's sort that's always the that's always the dream that's always the vibe when was the first time you came here um it was it was 2018. It was actually, that was the whole reason for me. Like when I first started doing country music as a guy from the UK, obviously everything I'm influenced by is obviously everything that's being made over there. So for me, in my head, for it to be credible, I had to go to the States and people take it seriously. Right. That was genuinely for me. It was, it was, it was like that. That's what it had to be. Like that was sort of like the essence of what I was trying to achieve. So if people thought I was, you know, sort of not authentic enough or were they actually going to, you know, actually get a, yeah, an understanding for what it is that I was trying to do. So actually it was only two months in to when I actually brought out my first single, uh, I got a call from the guys at Springboard Festival um, and they said to me, they was like, we've heard your stuff. We'd love you to come over to uh, to San Diego in like, it was like in a week's time. Like, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was like baptism by fire. So the very first time anyone I'd ever seen anyone hear my music in the States, I literally had like four, I had like a panel up on stage. So it's very much sort of like South by Southwest vibe. You have like a panel mm -hmm. and you had, so I had basically 200 American musicians behind me, four panel guys in front of me who had won Grammys, you know, people had discovered Nickelback and whatever else and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. Uh, and this is the very first time anybody in the States has heard my music. And I'm just like, oh God, this could go like one or two ways. And uh, yeah, it went well and, you know, got a production deal and came back to Nashville. Well, went to Nashville for the first time sort of like six months later. So that was kind of how the journey uh, began. Dude, yeah. that, that's, a, that's pretty awesome. Not everybody goes to a new country the first time. It immediately hits it off. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly, exactly. It was, uh, it was, it, no, it was, it was cool. I was just like, I knew, I knew straight away. I was like, this is, this is where I got to try and be headed as much as as possible because I just got, you, you know, it, it, as you know, like when you put out music, you you get a vibe of how people are sort of appreciating right. it. And so we played, you know, a bunch of shows, and you know, the response that we got was just incredible. So it was really cool. So how did music kind of come into the picture of your life? Because I know a lot of us are, shall we say, lifer musicians. We started when we were like three inches big and like like we grew we literally like grew up in the womb listening to like mozart through the headphones on the belly 
literally. Yeah, I mean, mum, it was a really interesting one for me because like music was definitely like always around. Like my dad is a really great musician, plays about a million different instruments, was in like several bands. Um, you know, there was always music on and he was always like playing. He, he plays guitar in so many different styles. He's a really good classical player, but he also plays banjo. He's also a really good electric player. So that was always kind of like around. It was always in my life. My great grandmother was back in Ireland, was basically the most sought after session pianist in like all of Ireland back oh, in cool. sort of like the earliest part of the 20th century. So it's very much in the family. It had always been around, but I actually took a little while to sort of like, uh, I think I was like 12 when I started playing wait for it wait for it it gets really cool the flute <laughs> that was the <laughs> that was the very first instrument I picked up it was just around the house that they were looking for people in orchestra because funny enough nobody wanted to play the flute but that was uh, that like, was pretty I'll much the it. journey yeah I'll do it I'll do it and then I realised when I was sort of like you know 15, 16 that all the girls were laughing at me and I thought yeah I yep. better pick up a guitar hadn't I so I think a lot of the- us got into the guitar because we're like man Girls aren't impressed by video games, but they sure do love a guy who no. can sing Oasis. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Couldn't have described it more perfectly myself. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that's got to be the main reason why I picked up a guitar was because I was super into Guitar Hero on the PlayStation uh-huh. 2 when it first came out. And I remember one time, I think I was in eighth grade, I took it to school for like a study hall party. And me and the guys were all playing it and we were all super cool. And the girls were just sitting in the back like, what a bunch of dorks. And I was like, man, if I can't play, if I can't play the Foo Fighters in real life, it doesn't matter. (laughs) No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah. You learned that one pretty quickly. I I think it was my my, my one was kind of like a necessity to get to get out of the bedroom. (laughs) <laughs> absolutely absolutely i think my uh what was it wherever you will go by the calling was always my speciality in the <laughs> in the in in that instance there i remember playing that up prom and then everybody cried that's have uh, you always that, been a solo fun. artist or were you in uh were you in bands like in uh in school and stuff Oh, uh, dude, bands was always my thing. Like, I was terrified to become a solo artist. I was absolutely petrified. I can hands-on say I played in bands for years. So my very first band that I was in when I was, like, 16, we got basically a development deal with Sony over here in the UK. That's cool. Um, and then we did a bunch of stuff. Like, we did, like, Glastonbury, and like we supported, like, a really big boy. We did, like, a stadium tour with a boy band over here called Westlife. So we did, like, some really cool stuff in and around that. But it was always about bands, and then I did, like, a synth pop thing sort of like 1975-esque sort of thing after that mm-hmm. um and then i just started writing this country music and i was just like you know i was right was writing it for other people because i didn't think me doing it was particularly particularly credible but then i started writing songs about me and my own life and just sort of like fell into it fell into it that way and i was like oh yeah god i'm just gonna have to gonna have to do it and see what happens really <laughs> but like i can honestly hands on say like even after i mean i've probably been performing in bands sort of by near enough 10 years at that point from the age of like 14 um and going and playing a solo acoustic show by myself was hands on the most terrifying thing i've ever done i remember my so, first so solo acoustic show that first time i played by myself mm-hmm. on a stage i got so drunk because i was so nervous and it went terribly yeah man <laughs> <laughs> like, I, th- I think the the club held about maybe 150 or 200. And I probably had 35 of my friends there. So, like, on a Tuesday night in central Missouri, like, that was an okay show. But yeah. 
Oh, I was mortified. And to like one of my friends could tell that I was nervous. And he was the drummer of my first band when I was like 15. He goes, hey, let's do a shot of Jameson. I was like, okay, cool. And then he goes, hey, let's just do another shot of Jameson. I was like, yeah, that sounds great. And then like three shots of Jameson later, I was like, I'm not going to be able to play well. (laughs) (laughs) It turns very quickly, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You hit that wall and there is no cure for it other than waiting. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> literally literally oh man yeah no i feel you on that one i feel you so when did you decide to start taking it more seriously because there's there's that there's some kind of a threshold you hit when you're a kid because i remember being in bands back in high school i was in several of them and then i started doing the solo artist thing but there was there was never really like a like a come to jesus moment where i was like i have to do this but then just one day i realized i couldn't do what music was i couldn't i couldn't make it professionally in in central missouri so i was like if i want to even give this a shot i have to go somewhere where this happens and that's why i picked nashville so did you have one of those moments where you were just all of a sudden like i have to do this that there was there was never a plan b yeah i mean i mean obviously like say like i was like i was always like surrounded by it and then obviously i was like this like this stage i i experienced a lot very young so obviously i was like i was in the industry sort of properly full-time from a really young age so I sort of I'd had that sort of like little experience of it and then obviously then basically the world went into recession then and (laughs) the deal got pulled from the table and and then I was like right okay so what do I do now so for me then it was like I went to go and 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 study it and it's actually when I I would say when I met my now business partner Drea Puzzle Maker who also plays guitar for me and produces all my stuff now that I found the very sort of first like real like-minded person and for me that made it like so much more achievable you didn't feel I didn't feel like an alien anymore um and it was like that was a very natural process and for us we basically ended up by chance just creating a business with the production side of thing through university, which basically then led to, to this. And it was all quite an organic process. And I think I got to sort of, I was working in a shoe shop um, and I got back from Nashville the first time and I was like, no, this seems to actually have something like it was like all, all the different bits were sort of like all the pieces, you know, of, uh, of the puzzle for want of a better phrase was sort of all starting to click together bit by bit you know there was like bits of publishing interest and whatever and I just thought do you know what if I don't do this now like I'm just gonna have to I'm just gonna have to take the plunge I'm just gonna have to do it because this feels like the right time the right moment to just really go to to go at it and that's what I did and never look back that's great because there's a lot of people that are honestly too scared to make that jump and mm-hmm. there's we're, we're in no shortage of people who want to make it but what we are in short of it is people who are willing to try yeah. And I mean, in Nashville, it doesn't se- it doesn't seem like it, but it's because everyone in this city is a transplant. We all came from somewhere, but there's there's a lot of people still living up in those states. Like back in my hometown, there's definitely still people who were like, oh, I, I wish I had moved to Nashville when I was young. I wish I had given it a go. And they live their life with regret because of that. So even if hits the fan and you don't end up making it long term you're gonna look back and still realize man at least i got to try 
Absolutely, man. That's I was exactly the same. I was just like, don't go at it with with any regrets. Like, you know, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be, you know, 40, 50 years old and just be sat there sort of like, I mean, my dad always said it to me. My dad always said to me, he, you know, my, my dad was a financial advisor that loved to play music. He was just like, don't ever stop the music. He said, because I wish I hadn't. And having that like in the background was always actually a really, really good thing. That's cool. So you're, you're, are you the only person in your family who's actually like trying to do it professionally now? Uh, or, yeah. or has everybody else kind of been involved in the business, so to speak? Um, no. So like I would say uh, my gra- my great grandmother was, was like a full-time musician. Um, and okay. then basically my great uncle was basically it's not really like it wasn't like the music industry like he was in a full-time like military band so it was like music was like his thing it was a weird one but anyway um so but it's kind of like it's always been around so it wasn't like a completely alien concept when i turned around to my mum and dad and was just like like look, i want to die i'm actually going to do this full-time like it is going to be my thing um so that they, they, they kind of like backed me all the way and all my family have kind of backed me all the way like it's always it's always been sort of like around and it accepted and not not like a sort of like a complete alien concept really which is cool that's cool i grew up around music too but i grew up in a very classical family people right. who my my both my father and my oldest brother are classical pianists and are like directors of choirs and everything right and my middle brother was a uh, master's violin student like all through his uh, all through his college training and it it, I kind of feel like kind of a black sheep of my family because at some point, every member of my family gave up. So I got to see th- three members of my family just quit, yeah. and I could not live with myself if that if that was the case. Like no, I'm with my you. Uh, my dad practiced. Uh, he studied piano in Paris back in the seventies. Like he oh. he he was he was a, an incredible pianist, and he's still a great pianist now, but. Getting to know that all of these people in my family gave it a go and didn't want to do it kind of sat with me really early on. I was like, I can't, I can't just be the fourth person in my family to go work at a bookstore. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent, hundred percent. I feel you. I feel you. I, again, yeah, I was around the same kind of thing. Like, you know, mum was a teacher, dad was a financial advisor and like mum was fulfilled in what she did, but dad definitely always wasn't. And he was very clear of telling me that, especially when I started doing this, he was like, yeah, man, just go for it. Just go right. for it. Do it. So what, what are you going for now? You're, uh, you're, you're putting out records. You're, let's be honest, you were here not too long ago in Nashville. You're, you're playing internationally. What's, uh, what's, what's going on with Danny McMahon these days? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. I mean, you know, going back to that whole kind of concept, like for me, it was like the number one dream was to always be able to do it full time and make a living out of it. And then like, we're doing that now. And that's so sick. Like that, that's like my rock. That's my foundation. That's what I base everything on. But in terms of striving, like, you know, I mean, today, this, this year has been amazing. Like a big one for me was that I wanted to play C2C festival. We've done that. So I just want to try and like elevate the next version of whatever that's going to be. Um, and then obviously like, you know, it's, I, I just want to see like the amount of people coming to shows, you know, growing and seeing those num- numbers grow and seeing the interest grow. And, you know, like I never try and necessarily like I do plan the journey. I kind of like I have goals that I want to hit, but I know that in between those goals, like what's going to happen always ends up looking very different to what you necessarily might think it might do um so that that's kind of the idea for me there's going to be more music coming out next year there's going to be loads more touring you know as i say getting out to the states more and more obviously like covid was like really tough for that because 
going out and playing shows is a massive part of, especially when, you know, right. we won, obviously, you know, UK Country Arts of the Year in 2019 and going out and playing shows and being everywhere and being in front of people all over the world was a massive part of that. So just, you know, you say re rebuilding that momentum back up to sort of where it needs to be with the international touring side of things is uh, is always always big on the, the agenda. So obviously we've got that rolling this year. So and long may it continue next year. So you're talking about uh, watching the numbers grow. Let's talk about the uh, numbers that you just had grow for the first time. You just played your first sold-out hometown show, right? Yeah, I did. Yeah, dude, tell was... us about that. That is a that is something that every musician will always remember. Is the first time they sold out a venue. I remember my first time. Tell me about this. Yeah, it was amazing. So it was really cool as well because, like, um, I was basically what happened was early, earlier this year we we went on tour and um, I did a, a hometown show and I was uh, really happy with the numbers that that came out and obviously we were coming off the back of COVID. It was still quite bad here at uh, that particular point, but you know the the numbers weren't what they necessarily would have been otherwise. And I was like, okay, man, like we really got to work on this. Like, what are we going to do? How are we? How am I going to get those people in the room? And I literally just focused all my energy into that. I had a phone call with a couple of agents they were like look this is what we need you to do if, if you're going to be taken seriously this is what you got to do I was like okay all right game <laughs> on game on let's do it let's do it like you know I was talking about those big goals and other things happening in between I was just like let's just do it um, and what was really special about it is not only did we sell it out but the three support acts that were playing are all guys that I produce as well uh, who cool. are all local and uh, so it was just like sort of like for me it's always been really like I want like where I'm from to be a really like hotspot for country music in the UK because there are a couple Manchester and London probably being the main two like I really want Bristol to grow with that and sort of be taken really seriously and for it to emerge so to have a sold out as I say country night in Bristol for, for me was uh, was incredible obviously for myself as well but I saw it as being more than that you know it's I, I really wanted to sort of like put Bristol on the map in the in the UK for this uh, for this genre of music that's uh, that's ever growing it's really cool what was the venue called it's called Zed Alley. Shout out. <laughs> yeah, I know absolutely. we I know we've got a couple of UK listeners. I see I see that I see that one or two pop up every week. So if you're listening, go to Bristol and hang out with Danny. <laughs> yeah, man. Come along, come along, because it's uh, it's gonna get bigger and better. So we've done this one, we gotta get to a bigger one now. So let's let's do it. So do you ever make it over to London to perform? Yeah, I played there in the week, actually. Um, I played at the uh, the Troubadour in London in the week, cool. um, which was really, really cool. Uh, that was supporting uh, a Nashville artist. There's a girl called Christy Huff was over on her UK stint. Uh, oh, I know her. Stint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was over <laughs> on, a, she was over on a, uh, a stint over here. I'd written with her in lockdown, which was really cool, So uh, during the whole quarantine period. So we'd written like quite a lot together. So to actually meet her in real life in much better circumstances was, uh, was awesome. It was really cool. So do you do you help get people coming from the states over into the UK? Are you are you kind of like a conduit to help them kind of get plugged in since in Nashville for all intents and purposes I'm kind of that guy for you but are you that kind of guy over there? Yeah, I try to be. I try to be because I think there's like there's definitely like a really sort of like you know, a really cool like core audience that like for for the guys coming over from the states to to be introduced to that will actually like they're really like invested they will really get into what you're doing they'll really get behind you they'll buy your merch they'll you know post about it or share all your stuff like they'll get really really involved with it and they'll follow that journey that's kind of like what the core nucleus of like the UK country fan scene is is based on um which is which is really cool so I, th I think for like for the guys over in nashville to kind of be introduced to that over here is uh is a, is a, is a really cool it can only be a positive thing really 
That's actually something I wanted to talk to you about was the the UK flavor of country music because what a lot of people might not recognize is that country music is like, yeah, sure, Nashville is kind of the face of it, but there's so much more beyond it. Like I played at the Bedford there in, uh, I guess it's, is it Balham? Is that where it's at? Yeah, Ballum? yeah, you got it. You got it, yeah. Yeah, so I was in a country rock duo and. 20, I think it was 18 that I toured over there and we played and it was huge. They weren't there to see me, but they were just there to see country music. Yeah. And that's something that I don't particularly see a lot of here is people oftentimes won't go out unless like they know their friends are playing or mm -hmm. someone famous might be there. But it seemed like a different cultural thing over there where people were just excited to just be somewhere and hear well, something. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, fundamentally, like I see it as almost, it's, it's almost like a, like its own little micro subculture in terms of the sense that it's like, it's a way of life. Being a country music fan is an identity here because it is niche, because it's not mainstream. Being a country music fan is the, for a lot of people is like, is the identity. And that's right. so cool that, that uh, there, there, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of love and a lot of passion that comes with that. Um, which, which is great, it's, you know, as I say, for me to, to, to get me going over here was, uh, was absolutely fundamental to be honest. So I'm forever grateful for it. So do the country scenes and the Americana scenes bleed uh, together over there very much? Because I was actually performing Americana Fest, technically. Yeah. But do those two yeah. scenes interact with one another pretty often? Yeah, yeah, yes and no. Like some festival bills definitely will. Um, they have like their separate award shows. Um, but yes, they do kind of. I mean, I would still say over here at the moment that like Americana is definitely regarded as like the cool country. 100%. <laughs> like if you say, I was like, yeah, I'm an Americana band. I was like, oh, that's cool. And it's like, you know, if I say I'm a country artist, you have often have a lot more explaining to do. You know, <laughs> it's it, it's sort of like that that same thing as like, you know, when you sit around your family for, with your family for Thanksgiving and explain to them that you're a musician, you're kind of like the level of explaining that you've got to do to kind of explain what it is you've <laughs> got to do. You know, it's, it's very much that thing with like, when I, mean, I say do country music, people say, oh, like Dolly Parton then. It's like, no, 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 dude. It's not nothing like that. Because it's obviously, like yeah, because like the average person over here has no idea idea who you know a lot i would say 90 percent of people probably don't know who garth brooks is do you know what right. i mean so it's sort of like when you when you're in those like circles of people who really get it then obviously yeah it's a totally different thing but like day to day even when i'm doing like you know like a like a national radio interview a lot of people will sort of still don't really know the Keith Urbans and the Sam Hunts of, you know, the Dan Shays of this world, people that I'm influenced by, they probably won't know those names. So it's sort of like getting into the really understanding the nitty gritty of what it is. It's, uh, it's, it's a weird one. Right. So since, since you're kind of this country artist, not a, not an Americana artist, how do you, how do you describe it to the people who might not, literally might not either understand it or not, might not know who you are? How, how do you describe your sound? Yeah, so I sort of, I say, I, I often say I'm a country pop influenced singer-songwriter. There's there's two other bits, the pop and the singer-songwriter, that people can kind of like understand. But then when they, obviously when I open my mouth and they sort of get the sort of the, the, the twangy element of it in there, they kind of go, okay, that kind of makes a bit more a bit more sense. It's sort of like, because that is fundamentally what it is. Like, you know, I, I love to sing, I love to write songs and I love pop and country music and everything sort of in between that umbrella. Um, so I think that's kind of like a lot easier for people to uh, to digest initially, let's say. 
<laughs> well, since uh, I know you're you're kind of on a time crunch, give us give us a uh, give us an idea of what you're hoping to accomplish. Other than obviously the international touring, the stadiums, the the hit records. What's what are some of the like goals that that light the fire under your butt? What makes what's the compulsion to be in music? Love the question. Um, for me, like I, my fundamentally, like my favorite thing and going back to the sold out show thing is being able to write songs that obviously mean something to you but fundamentally mean something to other people and being able to see that on a mass level not to be famous but to be able to you know relate to people on a mass level to have to to, to understand or experience that universal emotion with somebody that you've never met through music on a large scale. That's what does it for me. Like that's awesome. I, that's why I could never see myself doing anything else. It's that. It's that. That. That is a hundred percent like my drug when I stand on that stage <laughs> and I see. I see that happen. Uh, it's yeah. It gives me a feeling like not, nothing else. To be quite honest with you. It's, it's this transcendent thing where you kind of feel yourself leave your body and then you're watching yourself watch the audience. Like That's it. It's, it's something that it's impossible to it's impossible to experience any other way. Yeah, this is it. And the, the, the more people that I can affect doing that with something that I've, you know, created with people that, and for me that's also really important, that I've created with people that I genuinely love and appreciate, that's, that's it, man. That's it there. Well, give us some plugs, Danny. I know, you, again, you're on a time crunch. You're sitting in your studio right now. You're busy being a producer and a badass. Tell people who are listening here uh, where they can find you, whether it be on the internet or uh, live, if you got more shows coming up abroad, and uh, any any short-term and long-term plans you want to see for yourself uh, just getting getting back into the, the industry here in Nashville. Absolutely. Um, great question. So, um, I mean, if you want to find out what about what I'm doing, uh, the website is dannymcmahon.co.uk. All the socials are at dannymcmahonuk. Uh, it's all the same uh, across the board for your Twitters, your TikToks, your Instagrams, your Facebooks, um, whatever else you're into. I'll probably be there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not only fans, we haven't got that one yet, but we're... we're <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you decide to start selling pictures of your feet, we've got a great platform. We've got <laughs> <laughs> Well, I will have all of those uh links you just mentioned uh tagged in our episode description so people can interact with you. Uh do you have any last minute advice for anybody who might be looking to make that jump to being a full-time musician? Because it's scary and it's difficult. Do you have any advice for people who might be considering making that jump? Yeah, be be smart and don't see everything at initial face value. That's the bit that people get freaked out about. Um, so like people go, oh, well, if I do this, then it will be this. I was like, yeah, but what if you do this and this and this? And then, you know, it's like it's, you have to see it further down the line than what something that maybe, like I say, might initially be at face value. And like be smart about it. So it's sort of like people go, oh, well, I can't make any money from that. Well, OK, but might we not be from that right now. But are there other avenues that like, you know, I mean, like for me, like all I want to do is just do music 
music full time rather than work in a shoe shop. So like, you know, initially for me, that was like going out and I was, you, you know, would do a bit of teaching or I do songwriting mentoring or I would work for the local music university or and those little bits that sort of like allow you to then, okay, okay, I'm earning from this. So then I can spend a bit more time on my original music. And then suddenly, slowly but surely, you then find your fingers in other pies like bits of publishing. And then you suddenly get a, you know, a PRS, BMI payment from whatever. And suddenly you're making bits of money from this. And it's that little bit by bit by bit, the little trickling little bits of income. And this obviously was like building this business at the same time as well. Those little bits there just will eventually, if, if you're patient, and as I say, if you don't expect the earth to begin with, because uh, that's the other thing I would say, nobody owes you anything. Right. Don't ever think that they do because they really, because, because, because they don't, you could be the most talented person in the world, but they, they don't, you've got, you've got to, you know, as I say, fundamentally, what I always say to people is you've got to scream so loud that they have to listen. I love that. Well, Danny, thanks yeah. for taking some time out of your, your busy day. I guess it's nighttime over there. It but, is. Uh, yeah. Thank you for coming. Next time you're in Nashville, let's get you here in the studio. We'll do a we'll do a long deep dive into the the human of Danny McMahon. I would love that. Thank you so I much. I just for heard my own dude. accent so bad, McMahon. McMahon. <laughs> <laughs> well, Danny, thanks again for coming on to the podcast today. Uh, last words before we hop off here. Uh, first and foremost, it's been a pre- pleasure. Thank you for having me, and uh, stay tuned. I will be uh, back over in uh, Nashville pretty soon. Keep your we'll, eyes and ears peeled. We'll be sure to book you again. So you can Amazing. follow all of our social media at Nashville Tour Stop, and you can find us on the web at NashvilleTourStop.com. You can follow us on Patreon. You can contribute there. You can get tickets to our shows. You can get our entire episode backlog. Find that in the episode link description. But until then, do remember that all roads lead right back here to the Nashville Tour Stop. 22 came around and you stayed out late. You didn't call, started your fall I'm failing the mistake, heartbreak We had all we wanted But life came along and we lost it To you and him and your summer night flame Thrown away for a one-time thing There's so much to say about what you did But the sun's so hot, I might let it slip in My hometown, hold our memory back I heard a rumor spinning around and might take you back Ring of fire.